Hey, good morning, everybody. Haven't done this in a while. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, welcome home. Welcome home. That's sort of a slogan we have around here. Uh, our mission, our vision is to love God, love people, and change the world. And also today, we'd like to be able to say to each other, Happy Easter. All right, what happened? Has the guy lost his mind? No, not really. Do you know like a very large portion of the globe celebrates Easter, not last Sunday, but this Sunday? And uh, in what, uh, you know, has been the Eastern Orthodox Church, you know, going back many years and in all of the Slavic countries and many places around the world, actually Easter Sunday is celebrated today. I, uh, I had a really good talk with a, a great friend of mine, Sean Wooten, yesterday. And uh, he was telling me, because he's been over in, in Moscow and in Kiev and in that part of the world for many, many years now, and he was saying that all along, you know, the, uh, uh, in Moscow and in, and, and in the Ukraine and in all these former Soviet bloc uh, countries, in Kiev, in Odessa, along the Dnieper River, down in, uh, in Odessa, around the Black Sea, on this day, today, when anybody sees uh, someone on the street and where they would normally do a greeting and say, hey, hi, how are you doing? A nod of the head. What they do on this day, every year, everybody, when you greet somebody, you say, Jesus is resurrected. And the person that you've spoken to says back to you, he is truly resurrected. And it, I was like, I kind of heard this before, but I was talking to someone, now, 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 really? How many people really do this? Okay? He said, everybody. Atheist, agnostic, snotty-nosed little brat kids, you know? <laughs> Sorry I said that, you know, but I mean, some people, some, some people in that part of the world, their kids have some work they still have to do. All right? <laughs> Singles, campus students, old people, religious, non-religious, uh, that, that's just their way of honoring tradition. When they see somebody today, they say, Jesus is resurrected, and that person responds back, he is truly resurrected. I mean, could we do that as Americans? That blew me away. I want to go there sometime just to be a part of that, all right? And so turn to the person next to you. You know I'll make you do this from time to time, all right? Okay? L look at them, and one of you say, Jesus is resurrected. And the other person responds, he is truly resurrected. Okay, now switch it around. Switch roles, okay? Jesus is resurrected. And he is truly resurrected. How awesome is that? That tradition has outlasted Lenin, Stalin, the communist bloc, it's, it, it, it's, it's true. And, um, you know, I hope, hope maybe you and I get to be there someday to, uh, you know, experience that. We're in the middle of a series, Set Free to, uh, to Bring God for God's Glory, and the, uh, the Red Sea Deliverance. Here's a picture of the brothers and sisters there in, uh, in Ukraine. It's a God of Wonders conference that they had, and it just helps visualize what some of our, our, our global fellowship is doing. We are a part of a global fellowship of churches, aren't we? 
That's part of what all this million dreams, generosity, Sunday kind of dream, you know, and not just dreams for this place or our specific little family or individual, but our dreams for the world. Because God has always had a people, and God has always had a mission to bless the world. Do you see that as you're reading through the Bible? Does the story really come together? Kelly and I get an opportunity to be with uh, this, uh, this conference. It's in June. We're going to be heading over to Odessa, uh, Ukraine, and to be able to speak with all their leaders and speak to, uh, you know, the combined churches there. And Sean Wooten and Lena come here from time to time. We have a beautiful relationship with the churches there. Uh, next week, we'll be honoring uh, a sending off of one of our um, a young ministers who's been trained here and raised up here the last five years, Tom McGurk, will be appointed an evangelist next week. Courtney uh, McGurk will be recognized as a women's ministry leader. And then within a couple of weeks, they'll be leaving for Europe. They'll be uh, relocating indefinitely in Paris to be able to lead the campus ministry there and help campus ministries all around the continent of, of Europe. Our campus ministry in North River is, is larger than all of the campus ministries in all of uh, Western Europe combined. It's a very atheistic place. It's a place where Christianity has long ago seen its better days, and now it's an empty shell and actually is more of a stumbling block of what people remember about Christianity than something that is full of life and power and resurrection. And in all parts of the world, everybody needs Jesus. And we're contributing where we can to the African Mission Society and the uh, African Missions Association, the European Mission Society, and the Southeast Missions Committee, and really trying to just do the best to impact our neighborhood and our jobs and our families and just be Christians, okay? This is all a part, though, of, of an overall plan, and this is where we've been going through the book of Exodus here. Um, y- you want to see the connection because the Exodus story... Is, is basically the epic story of God preserving and preparing and delivering his people and then working with them so they can be not just a blessing to themselves and their group, but a blessing to all of the nations. You see it all the way through Scripture. It becomes, I don't know, a live HD in the New Testament. As you see, the Passover really is leading up to Jesus dying on the cross where our sins are passed over, where we get delivered, where we're able to then experience salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The last verse we'll see this morning in the study, we'll look in 1 Corinthians, where the New Testament doesn't leave us guessing what the connection is with the Old Testament and the Red Sea deliverance and our experience, it tells us point blank in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 4, how our experience directly connects with theirs, our deliverance, our salvation, our cleansing through water, all of those things, and our then journey onto the promised land. Jesus is resurrected, and you see it, you know, in its fullness in the New Testament, but really even in, uh, in the Old Testament, it's all the story is all there. Okay, just quick review. Exodus centers around, um, you know, these four great events. Book of Genesis is a lot about man, his, his 
fall, his issues, his groping around for God. The book of Exodus, it's about God. It's about God's power. It's about God's plan. It's about God's glory. It's about nobody being able to take God's glory. And when they do, they ultimately, you know, spell their own downfall and the people that they influence. But in these four great Great uh, movements in the book of Exodus. You know, we're able to see the Passover. We spent two weeks on the Passover and basically focused on two verses. Douglas did one. I did one a couple of weeks ago. Jeff focused us in on the fact that Jesus is truly resurrected last, uh, last week. This week, we're going, to, uh, we're going to go through a lot of verses, Okay. This is assumptive that you just see the general flow of where we're going. You make note of these verses. They're basically in three chapters. And then we read and we study them together and we pull out our own personal convictions from it. And as the Bible will say, if we have a family, we teach our family what all of this really means. Okay, so we'll be covering, you know, the, uh, from the events from the Passover as God you know, calls his people to be consecrated as he leads them, not on a direct route to Canaan, but on a circuitous route. He puts them at the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea as we've come to know it. They, uh, they, they're freaking out because it looks like, you know, they've just come out of slavery just to be mer- mercilessly killed, you know, right there on the spot by this army that's ravaging down, you know, upon them. There's this great deliverance. There's this great celebration that Tom will talk about next week in chapter 15 in the Song of Miriam. And then the people, once they get through this great deliverance, this great salvation, and they're on their way to the promised land, what do they do? They just start to grumble and complain. Okay, you got that? That's where we're going in about the next 17 minutes. But you got the Bible, right? And you can dig in. And to be able to see these things for yourself and develop that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of conviction. All right. So what, uh, uh, we're looking at chapter 13 right now. It's after the Passover, all right? It's after the Passover and God, um, you know, tells Moses and the people something that is very important to do. It's... um, you know, after, after the cross of Jesus, after our sins are passed over, after Good Friday, it's meant to have an effect on our life. For the grace of God, it helps us to be grateful, obviously to be saved, to, to be able to know that God loves us and cares about us, and he'd go to any lengths to have a relationship, you know, with us. But the grace of God teaches us to say no to certain things to be set apart. It's the idea of consecration. It's the idea of holiness. It's the light of being real. It's the light of, uh, of living with integrity, of being, you know, who we are, not just who we claim to be or what our beliefs, you know, indicate. And so God tells, you know, Moses, 
I want you to consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offering of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. He goes on a little bit later on in the chapter. It would be very helpful to you since we're moving quickly through a few chapters if you had your Bible open, you know, now or your device and you could follow along. Maybe you can highlight these things and go back and be able to dig in a little bit deeper. But, but, but God says something to the people. After the Lord brings you into the land of Canaan, all right, the promised land, and gives it to you as he promised, an oath to you and your ancestors, you're to give over to the Lord the first offering, offspring of every womb, the males of, uh, of your livestock belong to the Lord, the firstborn, redeem every firstborn among your sons. Now, what this means, he's saying, okay, you know, once you've been delivered, once you've been saved, there's a consecration, there's a sacrifice that's involved, there's a level of commitment that is involved where you take the very first of what you have and you offer it to God. You give it up to God and, and, and just uh, uh, in that way remind yourself that God is number one, he gets the first of everything you know, in my life. And there are various ways and and traditions and customs and the way that they did this is you'll be able to read through as we read through you know the scriptures but this is an important aspect of things and then here's something that's very important as you read along in the book of, of exodus in the days to come okay because as new people come into uh, the fellowship as new people come into the community as kids are born as people are married and come into the community as we reach out to the peoples around us it says when your son asks you what does this mean? Because they were, they were called to, to celebrate this Passover, this Feast of the Unleavened Bread, to be able to, uh, to, to have this consecration. We're going to find out also about circumcision. You know, a little bit later on, there'll be some more consecration as Joshua gets ready to lead the people in the Promised Land in the first couple of chapters in Joshua. But when, when your sons ask you, what does this mean? In our context, it might be, what, what, what is this, th th this communion really all about? What is this thing all about, about you getting the, all, all your money, your checkbook, and the very first thing you put on your list to give is to God? And the very first check that you write, how you organize your life, you're having a quiet time in the morning about where you put the first fruits of your time in your heart. What does this mean? Generosity Sunday, what is it? The kids are starting off with their generosity Sunday. A lot of you know that this Sunday, and with their focus on, you know, on giving, and, and they'll be asking, what is this about? And it's so important for God to let all of us as grandparents, as parents know, as older siblings, you know, to be able to say to people, what does it mean with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt? He brought us out of slavery. And when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male off offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. That's the story. You know, the Bible, the Bible is a story. It's a sweeping epic, really. It's, uh, it, it involves uh, so much. Uh, it, well, it's about the power of God, yes. When we start talking about the Red Sea, it's natural for us to think, whoa, God is powerful. 
And we're actually going to spend less time on the Red Sea and the parting of the waters than anything else, you know, this morning because it's kind of, we know this story. We've seen it. And have you seen the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston? I mean, that, that, that's epic, even in the pre, what is it, CMI, CGI, whatever, blah, 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 you know, okay? The computer graphics age, you know, where, where they, they, they did things, you know, without that. Yeah, it's still epic. It's amazing. Prince of Egypt is epic. Ridley Scott's view on the gods of Egypt, okay? As you see the Red Sea open and then it, it, the people walk through on dry land and Pharaoh's armies get totally, it's just powerful, it's epic. And so you can come away with a very true point, God is awesome. God is great. God can do anything. God can create a universe out of nothing. He can take care of that. He can raise somebody from the dead. He can do, and that is a very real, true point. Thank you, Jesus, that we serve an awesome God. And he has an awesome love for us. He cares about us awesomely. But there's more to the story than that. That just God is powerful. There, 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 there are layers of this that also, you know, he's not going to have other people put gods before him. That he also deeply cares about his people and he, he, he prepares them. And he, you're going to see even, you know, you're, you're going to see even leading up to this uh, Red Sea experience that God, is, that God is looking out after his people. He's providing for them with a cloud and with a pillar of fire and actually with the itinerary you know, that he just uh, prescribes for them into the promised land. It's a powerful story. And, you know, it's about his provision, his purpose, and they are going somewhere. They're not just going from somewhere. They're going to somewhere. They're going to the promised land. There's a purpose. There's a vision. There's an abundant life. There's a, a, a mission to the nations that God has in store for all of these people. And this is the entire story of what he's doing. The parallels to the New Testament are very, you know, are, are very, very powerful. Now, what I want us to, you know, to look at here is um, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way by night and a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. He, he made some provision for them. Even in the few verses leading up to this verse, you see another provision. If you're in Exodus, let's look in chapter, three and verse, uh, chapter 13 and verse 17. All right? When, uh, when God or when Pharaoh led the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. You may have read through this and never particularly focused on it or noticed it. He said, for God said, if they face war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. There was a short way and there was a long way to get to, uh, to Canaan, to the promised land. And when Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them straight through the shortest and the most direct route through the Philistine you know, country. 
The, uh, that, that way was called the way of the sea or via Maris, you know, is, is a translation. It extended from the Nile, and it was, it was very heavily fortressed by Egyptian, you know, strongholds there. The Hebrews had just come out of slavery, and they were not prepared to go to war. The distance straight through that shorter route is about 10 days. God took them through a longer way, you know, through the desert, because, uh, you know, if they were going to, God knew if these guys face war right, right off the bat, they're, they're going to really struggle and they're going to want to go back to Egypt. There's that in their DNA anyway, as it turns out. You know, it's, uh, you, you got to realize what's going on. There's two million people here. They've been in slavery all their life. They've had no control over their life. It's all been out. They, they, they work, go to work as a slave. They work their, you know, their, their fingers to the bone. They come home. They sleep for a few hours. They go back and they do it. They have no freedom. They, they exercise. You know, they don't decide, am I going to the mall? Am I going to the movie? Am I going to Trader Joe's today? Am I going to watch TV or not? There's none of that. They, they are truly in slavery, and they are not a people yet. There are tons of them, but they haven't learned how to be led they haven't learned how to work together as a community. They certainly haven't learned how to protect themselves, okay, in that, you know, since they weren't allowed to have arms and those sorts of things. And so God knows, you know, they are not ready for this challenge, you know, yet. They need some time to get prepared. They actually need some time to get used to being led together as a people and to be able to respond to, you know, God's way of dealing with them and also him raising up leaders in their life. In some ways, if you want to know the truth, it reminds me of the book of Acts. Do you realize within just, a, it seems like a few weeks, the Bible says the number of men in Jerusalem had grown to how many people? Do you remember? 5,000 men. That, that's not talking about women, children. There were 3,000 people baptized you know, on that day. They didn't have a cell phone to figure out where they were meeting. Okay, it was all brand new. It had to be chaos for thousands and thousands and thousands of people all of a sudden trying to learn how to be a church of Jesus. Okay, they're, they're, and, and you can see some of the issues. You know, in Acts chapter 6, there had like, got, there, there's some cultural issues going on with the Jews and with the Greeks and some unfairness that was going on. And the apostles said, you, you got to appoint some people, you know, to take care of this situation. You know, if you ever feel like the church is a little bit chaotic, welcome to Jerusalem. Welcome to the kingdom of God as it's growing and it's expanding and it's trying to figure itself out and to really get organized. And, you know, it, it, I don't know that it's ever been different until it starts getting stagnant. And then it's all very, you know, easily, you know, boxed up, you know, and figured out. But God, see, it's working. Have you ever felt like God said no to you for something you really wanted to do and it was just taking a long time to get there and could it be that he's preparing you or some other people to be ready for the time when it's time to go this is also God's grace it's also God's preparation it's also his love for us when he realizes they're not ready for this yet 
and he takes care of them. It's something, you know, maybe you don't notice if you're reading quickly through the book of Exodus. But for me, it's one of the great, you know, points in the book of Exodus in this little period. And then it's all related to this, God's provision. Because God also gives them this pillar of fire and this cloud you know, by day to lead them. Also, as you keep on reading through in chapter 13, you're also going to see God used it as a wall of separation between his people, between the Israelites, and between Pharaoh's armies when they decided to come get them and wipe them out. And it slowed, it slowed them down for, for, just, uh, you know, for just a little bit. The Red Sea, okay, we call it the Red Sea. It's like more literally translated the Sea of Reeds. You know, in 3,000 years, bodies of water can change. Anybody been to Lake Lanier, you know, in the last, you know, you know, 30 years? Things can change in a body of water over decades and decades and decades and thousands of years. Back at that time, the Sea of Reeds apparently was a part of something, a bigger body of, of waters called the Red Sea. Okay, and, and this, is, this is just sort of how their geography and their terminology, you know, you know, worked. And so when God led his people through the Red Sea, it's not like the classic Red Sea, or, you know, that you're thinking about, you know, today. Okay, but it was still very powerful, very miraculous. You see this strong wind as Moses puts his staff out there. Okay, just his staff out there, and God brings this strong east wind. It parts the waters. It's, this, it's just this amazing, amazing scene, you know, of deliverance. Pharaoh's, you know, here's the thing that leads up to it, which leads us into the next couple of chapters. Pharaoh approaches. The Israelites look up. They're marching after them, and they said to Moses, now catch this. Was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? Did you just get me saved and become a Christian so I could be more miserable than I ever was? Anybody ever felt that way? You are not being so truthful. If you're not honest about that, then sometimes you go, it was easier back in Egypt. It wasn't awesome. I wasn't going to heaven. Okay, I got that, but I didn't have this, that, and the other. You can get there. These guys got there. They go there constantly. It seems to be a spiritual negative law of gravity, you know, among God's people. What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, Jesus, leave us alone? No, they didn't. You know, leave us alone. Maybe they said it one time. You know, let us serve the Egyptians. Yeah, that was how they woke up in the morning. I can't wait to serve the Egyptians. This is great being in slavery. Our words are like crazy. It's called making crazy, you know, sometimes. When we go back and we, 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 we get in this mode, this emotional mode, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Not, Thank you for your grace, God, but I don't like the menu. The thing is, Moses said, don't be afraid, stand firm, and ferme la bouche, hush. Just be quiet. Praise God, they got quiet, presumably. Moses stretched out his staff. This, this, this amazing miracle, this amazing power of God. Not more amazing than the resurrection of Jesus, but it's, it's, it's strong. And the angel of God who'd been traveling with them protected them during this period of time. Moses stretches out his hand. This great power of God happens. Israelite is preserved. They're saved through water, 
which is what uh, 1 Corinthians 10 will say they were baptized in the cloud and saved through water, the Egyptians. You know, the, um, uh, and, and we see the result. The Lord displayed against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, their leader. So everything's going to be perfect now, right? They just seen one of the greatest miracles ever. Ever. They walked through it. They saw it. You've never seen anything like that. Neither have I. I mean, we know our conversion is more miraculous, and we know the birth of our, of our young children is miraculous. But I mean, we're talking about big time, big screen, HD stuff. Okay? Never experienced anything like that. So it's all going to be great, right? They're going to trust in the Lord, and they're going to trust their leaders now. Eh. You got to keep reading. We won't go so much into the Song of Miriam, just a few verses to leave you with as you do your own personal study. How about that? All right. They get out, and Moses led into Israel, uh, Israel from the Red Sea uh, to the desert of Shur. And for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we going to drink? They start grumbling because it's uncomfortable, you know, for them. I mean, this, this is just in a matter. This is a twinkle of an eye after what they've experienced in the Red Sea. You keep on going. So the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. If you don't listen carefully to the Lord God and pay attention and do what's right in his eyes, if you pay, but you pay attention to his commands and all his decrees, I'll not bring on you any of the diseases I brought among the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In Exodus chapter 16, so God says, listen, just trust me, do what I say, it's going to work out. And in Exodus chapter 16, as we keep on going, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Because many times we don't want to say, God, I'm upset with you, but I'm going to get upset with the leaders, okay? You know, it's just, it, you just feel less like you're going to get French fried, you know, you know, the next day. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. This is God's people. This is, I'm just telling you, this is in our DNA. To so quickly forget what God has done and look at the challenges that we have around us and get discouraged and downcast. Remember Jeff's sermon on the road to Emmaus? You know, well, we, you know, we had thought that, that Jesus was going to be the Messiah and, you know, it's all horrible and, you know, you know, we've been scattered and, you know, Judas hung himself and Jesus is gone and the, the, these emotional women are getting up and they, they think they saw an angel that said Jesus was a, it's so bad, it's so bad. And Jesus, you know, Jesus just got into the scriptures with them and helped them work, you know, through it. There's a reason why the Bible says, don't do anything with grumbling and complaining. Because apparently we have a tendency to do that. Uh, we don't like it about ourselves, but it's no different than all through, all through the ages. In the morning, God says, you'll see the glory of the Lord, Moses said, because he heard, he's heard your grumbling. Who are, who are we that you should grumble against us, Moses said. 
I'm just doing what the book says, Moses said. You'll know it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat and bread and in the morning. And, you know, uh, you know, because he's heard you're grumbling against him. Who are we? You know, you're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against the Lord. Some, you know, a lot of times God hears our grumbling. He still gives us the meat. And he still gives us the water. And he still looks after us. He's not happy. And if that continues on and on, our fate is sealed. We will wander around for 40 years in some kind of pathetic desert of a Christian life instead of getting our rear ends into the promised land, which is the abundant life, which is being, you know, a light to the nations, which is being a city on a hill, which is having a, you know, a wonderful marriage and beautiful relationships. But it, it doesn't, it, it, it's not a given just because we got this great awesome God and amazing miracles and we've been saved and we've been delivered we're going to have to keep growing in the Lord some of them paid no attention to Moses they kept it until Moses because he told them you know on giving the manna only do it six days don't collect it on the seventh they blew off God again you know because today is a Sabbath to the Lord we're going to keep going fast and then in verse Corinthians I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. And then he goes on and he tells us, you know, all these things were written for us. They happened to them, but they were written down for us so we could learn those lessons. As, uh, as we finish up this Easter morning, okay, let's remember that Jesus is resurrected that we've been saved, that God is a God of grace. God is a, a God of provision who provides, you know, for us. We do have a fallen flesh and, and DNA that causes us to grumble instead of being really grateful the way that we need to. But if we listen to God and follow his instructions, you know, we too can get to the promised land and experience the abundant life. Jesus is resurrected he is truly resurrected and God the Lord is good let's stand up and we're gonna close out with this song